Welcome to Bethel World Outreach Church. Our values are devotion, diversity, and discipleship. Devotion through honoring God by trusting His Word, praying, and worshiping together. Diversity by embracing God's heart for every nation. And discipleship by helping others follow Jesus. So join us as we're reaching a city to touch the world. Thank you, everybody. You know, I'm not on staff here, but you're my church family. I love you all. I pray for you regularly. And I'm just so honored to be here to share the word today. Thank you, Pastor Dave, for asking me to share. But before we get in the word today, I just wanted to do like a pop quiz. And all my college, don't get a knot in your stomach. It's one question. You're thinking a test at church, but it's just one question, okay? This is it. How many of you can say that everything you ever imagined for your life has gone exactly the way you wanted it to and exactly at the time you wanted it to happen? Go ahead and raise your hands. Well, you know what? It's ama- the same thing happened in the first service. I don't see a single hand unless you're just going like that, but I kind of doubt it. I, okay, just want to make sure I'm talking to the right crowd. It appears I am. And uh, we're going to be opening up a new series called State of Mind today. And, you know, we all have different mindsets that some are good and some are not. What does God's word have to say about our state of mind? Because the Bible offers powerful guidance upon that. So the topic that we're going to talk about today is the topic of disappointment. Clearly, we've all experienced it in one uh, shape or form. And I just want to say at first, this might bring up some very painful memories, but God only brings up um, painful memories for, to heal them. So um, as we're talking about things, I ask and I trust that the Holy Spirit is going to touch you and minister to you in, in a deep, deep way. And I, I'm going to pray that right now. Oh God, we thank you for your loving heart towards us. I thank you, God, that you understand what every person in this room and online has gone through. You've seen their pain, you've seen their disappointment, and you wanna offer them a word of hope today. You wanna offer a word of encouragement. Holy Spirit, come and speak to every heart. Show us your goodness in a fresh way today. We love you, we thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how I even got on this topic in the first place, I'd like to share with you. It was in July. I was out on a prayer walk, and uh, I love going out and praying and walking, and I usually kind of have things I pray about. Well, this was different. It was just I had no agenda, just wanted to be with Jesus, just whatever. We were just having a good time. And then in the midst of the walk, not that far in, something started coming up on the inside of me, and it was an old disappointment something that just didn't go the way I thought it was going to do. And you know, that feeling can be kind of heavy and discouraging, and you can pray about it and hope you get over it, ask God to heal you. And, and then honestly, if you're like me, you're just so busy with life. You don't have time for the deep things that are going on on the inside. Maybe sometimes for you, it's in the middle of the night when you can't sleep. Some disappointment will creep up, or something triggers a painful memory. Um, but there's many things in life that can be disappointing. For instance, you can go to the store looking for something, you can't find it. You go on Amazon, there it is. You go to click, check out, this item is currently out of stock. It's like, no, disappointing. 
Maybe you're in high school, you've tried, you want to make the varsity team of, of your sport. You worked out extra hard, and then your coach says, well, I actually really need you on JV. Or even worse, you get cut from the team. So disappointing. You want to try out for the school play, and there's a certain role you really want to get, but somebody else gets it. So disappointing. You apply to colleges. There's a few, but you have a dream school that you want to go to, and you don't get in. Disappointing. You're at your job, there's a, uh, there's a position open that would be your dream position. You've been working hard, and you know you would do a good job, but somebody else gets the job. Disappointing. These can be disappointed, but it can go way deeper than that. I'm filling the blank, years old. I thought I'd be married by now. We've been married, filling the blank, years. We thought we'd have children by now. We did have a child. Our child passed away. We raised our children to love and fear God. But when they grew up, they abandoned their faith. I married a Christian. We did it the right way. And now we're getting a divorce. Loss of spouse, loss of parent. Go to the doctor get that diagnosis you never want to hear. So painful, so disappointing. I know because I've prayed with you and I've cried with you. And you think to yourself, as a Christian, how can this be? Have you ever said to yourself, it wasn't supposed to be this way? And as I was on my walk, pondering disappointment, and honestly, I was just trying to figure out how to get undisappointed. That was my goal. <laughs> I don't even know if that's a word, but... Um, yeah. <laughs> so then I just thought to myself, well, what's the antonym to disappointment? What's the opposite of disappointment? So like any red-blooded human being would be, as soon as I got back to my house, I took out my phone and I Googled it. Antonym to disappointment. You know what the answer was? Contentment. I was so surprised. So then I looked up contentment in the Bible dictionary, and part of the definition was, denotes freedom from reliance upon others, whether other persons or other things, hence the satisfaction of one's need or the control of one's desires. It's not a passive acceptance of the status quo, but the positive assurance that God has supplied one's needs and the consequent release from unnecessary desire. The Christian can be, quote, self-contained because he's been satisfied by the grace of God. And then I looked up the verse they mentioned here, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and basically since July I've been camping here and just the word has spoken to me so much and I just pray that it encourages you like it encourages me. We're going to look at the life of Paul and how he handled disappointment in his life. So that's our passage of scripture, but before we get there, let's get a little backdrop to uh, First and Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians is actually the fourth letter that Paul wrote to this church. One is lost, and then it's the, the first one's mentioned in First Corinthians, and we know Paul has some pretty strong things to say to the church in First Corinthians. Then there's a third letter, it's called the painful, severe letter that he writes and he mentions in 2 Corinthians. And now this, this book, 2 Corinthians, um, and it's considered to be by scholars, um, 
Paul's most personal letter. He loves this church that he planted according to Acts chapter 18. And so now this letter, he's having to address some other things, and some people are opposing his message and actually questioning his apostolic authority. They think he suffered too much to be uh, an apostle. They criticize his speech. They boast about their spiritual experiences. And so, so now some people are doubting. Can you imagine how disappointing that is to Paul? This, this church that he went and planted and laid down his knife, now they're questioning. Talk about disappointment. But Paul bears his heart with this church. For, uh, the first seven chapters in 1 Corinthians are all about him explaining his apostleship. The last three weeks, we've been in verse, chapters 8 and 9, where he's encouraging them to be givers. Then it switches in chapter 10, and now he's talking to his opponents. So we're going to pick up in chapter 12, and that's our passage of Scripture for today. It says, I must go on boasting. There's nothing, though there's nothing to be gained by it, I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I'd be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So become, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So in these first six chapters, Paul is talking about something that happened 14 years ago, something he's never talked about. He's, it's so personal to him. He starts out talking in the third person, but he's talking about himself. He went to be in the presence of God. He didn't ask to go there. God took him there. And you can imagine what he saw, what he heard, how deeply it impacted him. It was so personal. He couldn't even speak about it, and he couldn't utter words about it. It so deeply impacted him. And then when we look in verse 7, we see that um, he was given a thorn in the flesh. And we can imagine that he received this thorn probably 14 years ago as well because of the reason that he received it, to keep him from becoming conceited. It's interesting that the thorn is described in two ways. It says it was given to me, i.e. by God. God allowed a thorn in Paul's flesh. Why? 
because he did not want Paul to come conceited for his heart to become hard and walk away from him. It was out of love. It was out of mercy, even though it caused Paul some pain. It, it, God was looking for the greater good and allowed this thorn to be in his flesh. But there's another uh, description, a messenger of Satan to harass me. When I think of a messenger, I think, well, they have a message. Can you imagine what Satan's message was to Paul? Well, look at you, Paul, doing all these signs, wonders, miracles, and you're not healed. I guess God doesn't care about you. I, you know, why are you even bothering? I mean, how can people respect you? You got a thorn in your flesh. And look, it really hurts. Let me remind you how bad it hurts. That's Satan's message. One thorn, two messages. Now, we don't know what the thorn actually is. Scholars give many suggestions what they think. Is it psychological? Is it the Jews persecuting him? Or is it something physical? And they list a lot of different things. Um, I would tend, and most modern scholars tend to think it's something physical. We can know, uh, one thing we can look at is in Galatians, where the, the church says they literally like to pluck their eyes out and give them to Paul. And when Paul writes the endings to his letters, he says, look at these big uh, letters that I write in my hand, and there seems to be something wrong with Paul's eyes. Whether it's the thorn in the flesh or not, I don't know. And every scholar would agree with that. Nobody knows for certain. But you know what's beautiful about that? It just shows us the father heart of God. Because if we knew specifically what Paul's thorn was, then we could write ourselves off. But you know, God, who created this living, amazing word that humans co cooperated with, he made sure, can we just stop for a minute and think about this amazing, living word? He wanted God, Heavenly Father God, wanted us to know that he was thinking of us when he wrote this word, not just the Corinthians, although he cared about them. We're reading it thousands of years later, and we don't know what that thorn is, but we have the ability to put, fill in the blank, whatever you're going through, God wants you to know you can receive encouragement from this living word. You can receive hope from this living word, whatever it is, whatever circumstance is you're going through. So we're so grateful for that. But one thing is for certain, this thorn was really troubling Paul. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think of the Apostle Paul, I do not think of a wimpy guy. I've thought of him many times as a toddler. If he if were two years old, and if they had couches back then, I doubt it, but if they did, I could just see Paul standing on that, Wah! running around, driving his mother crazy, just a rambunctious toddler. And if you have a rambunctious toddler, you might have the next world changer on your hands. I don't know, but hang in there, love them, discipline them. And then before he was a Christian, he used to drag men and women into jail and were glad that they were killed. Then after he was a Christian, he goes through, a, 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 tells what some of his life is like just in the chapter prior in, in 2 Corinthians 11. He says, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far lab greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beating, often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods, I was stoned, I was shipwrecked, I was adrift at sea, frequent journeys, danger from rivers, robbers, my own people, Gentiles, city, wilderness, sea, danger, toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, this man was tough. But there was something that was really bothering him. So, which brings me to my first point, when in trouble, pray. That's what Paul did. He's a tough guy. He's been through a lot, but he's pleading with the Lord to take this thing away from him. It must have really hurt. It would have been easy Um, for him when he's asking God, when he's pleading with God to give him a really good reason why he should take that away. God, I would be so much more effective for you if I just didn't have this thorn. I mean, just think how much more I could do if I just didn't have this thorn. Please, God, it hurts, please. He asked, pleaded three times. And Jesus gave him an answer. And the answer was no. Jesus said instead that he reminded him that his grace was sufficient for him for his power was made perfect in weakness. Have you ever heard or heard someone say or thought it yourself, well, I prayed, but God didn't answer? Well, maybe he answered, but the answer wasn't what you wanted to hear. Maybe he said no when you wanted to hear yes. Maybe he said wait when you wanted to hear now. God answers, but not always in the time we want or in the way we want. But Jesus did answer Paul, which brings me to my second point. When God speaks, trust. Paul pleaded with Jesus, Jesus answered him, and now Paul has a decision to make. Would he trust the goodness of God knowing that he always has his best interest in mind, that this thorn was given to him to keep him humble and dependent on God? Could you imagine if Paul became prideful and turned away from his savior? That would be so painful. But Paul's answer was yes, I'll trust you. And it changed everything. The one thing that didn't change was his circumstance. He still had the thorn in the flesh 14 years later. He stopped praying about it, he embraced it, and now he could boast about it. The only thing that changed for Paul was his state of mind. He held on to that word that Jesus spoke to him 14 years ago. And I encourage you, if God's given you a word, God's given you a promise to write it down, to remember it. Because I can only imagine how many times Paul had to go back to that word when it didn't feel good, when he's going and he's planting those churches and he's doing signs and wonders and he's doing his missionary journeys with the thorn in the flesh. How many times he had to remind himself, God's grace is sufficient for me. Now, I do believe in healing. I want to throw that in there. Uh, Sometimes we get sick and 
the first thing we should do is believe God for our healing. I've heard and seen miracles of healings. This is Paul's circumstance, and this is what God is doing in his life, and we can certainly learn from it. One thing that I'll never forget um, is watching somebody live this way. That's so ministered to my own family. So Bruce's mom, Renate, unfortunately died of cancer at age 58. When she got that awful diagnosis, uh, she was not a believer. And somebody at our, in our church, this is in Oregon, uh, at almost the exact same time, this beautiful woman, 60 years old, five grown children, all serving God, the one that gets up at 4.30 in the morning and intercedes, played the piano, played in our worship team, led a life group in their home. I mean, you are talking godly woman. She got that same diagnosis. And she heard about my mother-in-law, and she ministered to her. She reached out to her. And... um, She was able to pray with my mother-in-law over the phone. They were too sick to meet, and she led her to faith in Christ. <laughs> because in the midst of her pain, she at least had hope for eternity. Renate didn't. But then she prayed for her. Bruce was able to baptize his mom, give her communion, and we were with her when she went to be with Jesus. And this other lady, Anne, she unfortunately also passed away. All her children were around her. She was on the very last moments. And one of her children told me that she said, who's playing that beautiful music? And then she went to be with him. Heaven is real. Jesus is real. It's our great hope. Thank God for someone who was, had the same sickness, pushed through the pain, pushed through the suffering, and help somebody else, we are eternally grateful. We're gonna see her again one day. So my third point is, as we're looking at the life of Paul, when you are weak, receive. Now look what Paul does. He got a new state of mind, he is boasting in his weakness, and now he takes it even further. He says, now I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, Now he's including all his weaknesses, okay? It's not just the thorn now. So that Christ's power may rest upon me. Paul has a new state of mind. He's not bemoaning the fact that God didn't heal him and take away his suffering. He's not stuck on disappointment. He understands that embracing his weaknesses makes him a candidate for Christ's power. And that word there, rest upon, it's two words in English. It's one combined Greek word. um, And it's the only place it shows up in the whole New Testament. This word, rest upon. And it has the idea of pitching a tent, to dwell, to make one's abode among. Now, the root word is found in other places as well. John 1.14, for instance, when John writes about Jesus, And it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt, and that's that same root word, tent, 
tabernacle upon us, and we've seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father full of grace and truth. And John was intentional when he used that word, dwell, tent, tabernacle, because he is showing, uh, the, uh, every, uh, he's showing everyone the con- the continuation between the old and new. God's presence was in the tabernacle. God's presence was in the temple. And now God is tabernacling in the person of Jesus. He is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. There's also a verse in Revelation where it says, and I heard a loud voice from from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. He will tabernacle with them. And they will be his people. And God himself um, will be with them as their God. And I love the tabernacle imagery. When you look at Exodus chapter 40, verse 34, it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When you think of God's glory filling the tabernacle... Can you see one crack that he didn't fill? Is there one little tiny closet that he just didn't kind of go into? Oh no, when God's glory filled that tabernacle, it was full, it was complete. And I think that's the visual uh, that Paul is trying to give us using these words in this passage. Paul actually calls his body earlier in chapter five an earthly tent. And so when, it, uh, when we see, as he sees himself, seeing his weaknesses, seeing his earthly tent, but then he knows he's a candidate for God's glory to come and fill. Is there any crack that he is not gonna fill in Paul's life? No. What about us? When we see our own shortcomings and weaknesses and know and acknowledge them, and humble ourselves before God, we can ask for God's power to come and tabernacle upon us. That's how we, it's available to every believer. It's so beautiful. But you know, um, just remember, when we stop, when we are here in this earthly tent and we see our shortcomings, remember there's a messenger his name is Satan. He'll have a message for us right there. Oh no, you, you're not good enough. You're not smart enough. Look, you have anxiety. Look, you have depression. You might as well just give up. You've got an addiction. You might as well just stay there. God's not gonna help you. Oh no, if you stay there and listen, that message is not from God. But we can look at ourselves. And we can look at our shortcomings and we can look at our weaknesses, not stay there because that's where the message from Satan comes, but look up and say, God, tabernacle upon me. All those places I feel weak, all those places I feel insecure, all those places that I see, I need your help. Fill every crack, fill me with your power. Because that's what Paul said. He said, Paul, God's power would tabernacle upon him. What an amazing God. This visual helped me so much as I've been pondering this these last few months. Just little things. Like one day I was in the grocery store and I didn't feel good spiritually or physically. I just paused. I said, God, I feel weak right now. Please come and tabernacle upon me. 
And you know, he just met me right there in the grocery store aisle. I don't know what it looked like if I probably was doing this, but <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> Another time, I'm in the dentist's office. Little backstory on the dentist. I hit a point in my life in my early 30s of about three years where I really uh, had a problem with、uh, panic attacks and anxiety. And for some reason, I started getting anxious going to the dentist. Now, for all my dental friends, I know you went to school a million years and you passed all the tests. I know you know what you're doing. I'm not saying it's logical, but I'm just saying I would get anxious, and that's a whole nother sermon on how God helped me through that season in my life. But I went to the dentist for something I'd never gone to the dentist before, so I didn't have a grit. And I'm like, I'm good, I'm good. And then I got in that chair, you know, that little tray right there? And there was like 10 pointy things on there. And I'm like, Uh, what are they going to do to me? And I felt that anxiety start, woo. And then I just been studying it all morning, and I go to the dentist. I'm like, God, I feel anxious right now. Tabernacle upon me. And do you know he came and filled me in that chair and he helped me through that time? I'm telling you, whatever it is, big, small, we serve a great God who cares about every one of our needs. If we pause and acknowledge, yeah, without you, God, I am weak, but in you, I can do anything because it's your power. And that's what Paul found in his state of mind. He was able to recognize that he had weaknesses, but that God gives him grace. And that's what the grace of God is it's the power of God to live a, a holy life. And so now we see Paul has prayed, he trusted. He received. Now look where he's at. It says in verse 10, he says, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content because now finally everything is going my way. Finally, everything's good now. Is that what it says? No. I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So, not saying Paul's a glutton for punishment, but Paul's saying, I can actually be whole and full regardless of my circumstances. And he gives us the reason why in five words for the sake of Christ. He has the Lord's approval. And he's content with that. Full. He's not just undisappointed. Remember, that's what I was going for. He's full. He's content. Now, the only reason that Paul could come to this place in his life is because of the Lord Jesus, the one he was crying out to, the one who so radically changed his life. You know, Jesus received a no three times also in the garden. When he asked God, if there's any way that this cup can pass from me, yet not my will, but thy will be done. But God gave Jesus the same answer no. Aren't you glad for God's no sometimes? It had changed our eternal destiny. But Jesus, just like Paul, embraced what God told him 
got the state of mind to go. He said, I'm going for what I came to do. And that was to save humanity. So he went up on that cross. And we see that beautiful mystery of weakness and power. Oh, did he look weak when he was hanging there. People mocked him and said, look, he saved others. He can't save himself. But that was not what was going on. He willingly hung there knowing that his death was the only thing that could atone for all of our sins, past, present, and future. And he willingly went to that cross for you and me. But then we see his strength three days later when he rose from the dead. Death had no hold over him. And this is the power that we're talking about. The, the, the death that he died on the cross took away all of our sins. Can you imagine owing like a million dollars and somebody coming and saying, you know what, I'll clear that debt for you. I mean, we'd be so excited, right? Huge debt. But then our bank account is zero. And then he was like, well, look, go live now. Well, on what? I don't have anything. At least I don't have a debt. See, God didn't leave us there. He not only cleansed us, he not only forgave us, but he filled our account. He filled us with his righteousness. Now we go in his power. Now this resurrection power that we're talking about is the power we're talking about. We're asking a tabernacle upon us, whatever it is. That's the power that we can tap into as believers in Christ. We're so grateful for the gift and the, the mercy of God. He doesn't just leave us empty. He fills us with contentment. He fills us with his righteousness. He fills us with his spirit so we can live for him. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to stop now and just have a moment of prayer because obviously nobody raised their hand at the beginning. So whether it's big or little, you know what it is. God knows what it is. Just take that disappointment and lay it at his feet and ask him to fill you with his perspective. Trust him. If he gives you an answer, trust. If you're feeling weak, if you're feeling like you're just beat up, You've been listening to that messenger. He's been telling you what you're not. God wants to turn that script around, give you a new state of mind, tell you what, who you are in Christ. I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. I pray for those listening online. God, I pray that you meet every one of them where they're at. Fill them with fresh hope. Lord, let them walk out of here encouraged today, knowing that you are for them. And God, if you are for us, who can be against us? Thank you for the power of the resurrected Christ that has transformed us from the inside out. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.